Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Deja vu in French translates to already seen. It is a mysterious phenomenon, which most people have experienced or will experience, if not multiple times in their lifetime. Science has tried for many years to pick apart this paranormal sensation in order to understand it better. In 2006, a study was conducted by Leeds Memory Group, which worked to recreate deja vu for its patients. Researchers did this by first helping the patient create a simple memory under hypnosis, like playing a particular game. Later, these patients were given a suggestion to either forget or remember this memory, which would later trigger the deja vu sensation. Other studies using virtual reality have been conducted as well, which has led many scientists to conclude that deja vu is a memory phenomenon. According to neurologists, deja vu occurs because the brain becomes out of sync, has a neurological impulse glitch, in which there is a mix-up when the part of your brain which tracks present events and the part of your brain that recalls memories are both active. Researchers also have found evidence to suggest deja vu can happen in response to an event that resembles something you have experienced but cannot remember. Even though we may not be able to access all of our memories, especially those in our childhood, our brains still know we've been in a similar situation. From a parapsychology standpoint, deja vu comes from an extrasensory perception of deeper levels. Some say the phenomenon can be caused by astral projection and or OBEs, or out-of-body experiences, where people visit places while in their astral bodies during sleep. Essentially, deja vu can be described as a short travel into other dimensions since there is no concept of time. In fact, Albert Einstein said, time and space are ways we think, not ways in which we live, and that past, present, and future are just illusions. This theory supports that of quantum physics and the existence of parallel universes with which we interact in turn or simultaneously. As a result, deja vu is due to the information we have available to us at different times. Carl Jung, who had his own intense experiences with deja vu, postulated that it was an experience related to the collective conscious, essentially meaning when someone activates a memory, they receive information from the collective memory. Plato believed deja vu gave evidence to past lives, suggesting deja vu is caused by fragments of past life memories triggered by familiar surroundings, people, and or events being brought up to the surface. Sigmund Freud theorized that deja vu happens when a person is spontaneously reminded of an unconscious fantasy. Being that it is unconscious, the content of the fantasy is blocked from our awareness, but the sense of familiarity comes through and results in the deja vu experience. New research in neurology has found a correlation between trauma, stress, and fatigue with experiencing deja vu. In fact, the very neural components believed to be responsible for deja vu, the amygdala and the hippocampus, are said to be the same neural components responsible for the development of PTSD and also dissociation. Many soldiers, for example, have reported a frequency of deja vu when going into battle. Research has proven that those who more regularly experience dissociation and or PTSD will it also experience deja vu more frequently. Interestingly, the opposite of deja vu, which is less talked about, is jamais vu, which translates to never seen. In contrast to deja vu, it is the experience of being unfamiliar with a person or situation that is actually very familiar. For example, just moments after repeatedly saying a certain word out loud or writing it, the person may doubt that the word is even real. A study conducted by Dr. Chris Moulin of Leeds University proved this when he asked 92 volunteers to write out the word door 30 times in 60 seconds. Dr. Moulin reported that 68% of the volunteers showed symptoms of jamais vu, beginning to doubt that door was even a real word. 
This amnesia response may also suggest a correlation between trauma and stress as well. Perhaps deja vu exists to protect us from the harsh feelings associated with trauma, to provide comfort in a great time of the unknown, and to give us validation reminding us that we are right where we are supposed to be. The sensation, after all, while it feels paranormal, is similar to that of a premonition being fulfilled, bringing us into alignment with our true selves. Without a doubt, deja vu became more commonplace during the pandemic, whether it served to calm our anxieties of the unknown or we were tapping into the collective and feeling the sensations and memories of the world, or we were simply being reminded that everything was happening just as we knew it would, despite feeling an utter lack of control. On today's Love from the Hip, I have the great pleasure of having Walter Zajac on my show. Walter, empowerment psychic, love coach, and author, will share his own unique experience with deja vu, the traumas he endured, and how they helped helped him to awaken to his psychic abilities and more from his novel they came beyond deja vu so stick around for more we'll be right back do you get deja vu when she's with you Passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A. S-U-T-T-E-R dot com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe and share my podcast, Left from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Walter Zajac on my show. Walter is an empowerment psychic, a love coach, and author. Hey, Walter, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Sakura. I'm so glad to be here and truly honored to be here. Your show, um, your introduction, and you and I talked a little bit last week. You're an inspiring person. I love how your goal with your show is to help people overcome real life issues, being vulnerable, vulnerable. That's the key. And then I'm so impressed by what you have overcome 
and that you're putting your vulnerability out there on the air every <laughs> week. It's impressive. Oh, really well, thank you very much. And they yeah. say, right, you can't be the teacher without being the student first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so you're joining us from sunny California today? I am. And it is sunny. <laughs> well, wonderful. Yeah. Well, so after doing the monologue I did on Deja Vu, what do you believe Deja Vu is? Everything and- that you said, actually. <laughs> right. And I don't, I don't mean that as a, as a, what's that word? As just a, a dismissing, right? Mm-hmm. I, everything that you said. In other words, my experience with Deja Vu and with having studied quantum physics just a little bit, um, is that, uh, first of all, everything is ultimately energy that seems to be commonly uh, accepted these days because the concept of quantum physics is more and more commonly accepted. And if everything is energy, then ultimately deja vu is an energy experience, a spiritual experience. And like you said in your intro, probably, yeah, tuning into other realities and other worlds. Mm -hmm. And then also, yeah, there's evidence, physical evidence in the brain. You can see what's happening. One of my favorite concepts is, okay, supposedly our energy for our body comes from our cells, but where does that come from? And so then again, ultimately, we always go back to energy. So for me, in my experience, yeah, deja vu is tuning into probably past lives because so many of us, maybe even most of us have had an experience of feeling like you recognize somebody when you first meet them. Haven't, didn't we grow up together? Haven't I always known you? Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, what's the purpose then? What do you think is the purpose? Well, and then the next thing I was getting to, I'll get to the purpose question <laughs> is for me, for me, primarily deja vu has been an experience of dreams coming true. Mm. And what's the purpose of dreams coming true? To me, it's insight. And for me, it was more often than not, um, if a dream um, came true that had really disturbed me, as it actually came true in in reality, it was far less frightening than when I dreamt it, because when I dreamt it, I had no setup for it. Mm. I was just there, just there. And I had had no skills or tools or experience to deal with being there. But when it happened in real life, step by step, it led up to this event. And okay, yeah, the event was unpleasant frequently, but it wasn't devastating like I felt in the dream. So I believe the purpose of the dream was to just prepare myself and to know that, um, okay, hard stuff's going to happen, but you're going to be okay. (laughs) That's great. Well, let's jump right into your novel called They Came Beyond Deja Vu. When did you write this and who is it intended for? (laughs) I started it actually 1995. So however many years that (laughs) is, long darn time. And um, it went through um, many different formats. Um, And... I ultimately actually bought a course on how to write a novel so that you keep people on the edge of their seats. And and I feel like I did that successfully. And in the process of writing, first of all, initially I wrote it for me to remember what happened to me and specifically to just look back uh, in terms of what I overcame in order to realize that, okay, I'm pretty strong, pretty powerful. And then I realized, oh my goodness, the fact, just like your show, the fact that I make myself vulnerable talking about my journey can help a heck of a lot of people because my understanding in doing this, uh, this psychic work for uh, almost 20 years and having lived a lot of years in life, my understanding is that um most of us have had pretty severe trauma, uh, at least emotionally, if not physically, in our lives. And, uh, you know, and if it's not most of us, oh, my God, it's just way too common. Right. And, and um, I feel really good about myself, whether it's in a session with a client trying to empower them, or in writing this book, I feel really good about the fact that, okay, by me sharing my vulnerability, I can inspire somebody else to deal with their own stuff and to overcome it. Right. And then also get any tools and wisdom 
from you and yes. how to do that. So yeah. so it's based on a true story, but you you changed the names. Is that right? <laughs> I changed names of people and the places, but every single scene happened to me. Okay. You know, so that's how you write it. <laughs> and yeah. when, you, when you're writing the cover is based on a true story, right? But it yeah. is my story, actually. And yeah. you are Wolf. You are referred to as Wolfgang in the book. Yeah, I changed okay. it, changed his name. But yeah, that means uh, Walter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it so, doesn't mean that. In other words, that it's right. me. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you, you have such an amazing and yet heart-wrenching story. And I'd love for you to take us back to where it all began. Thank you. <laughs> so... Um, war-torn Germany, 11 years after World War II ended. I was six years old. And by war-torn, uh, well, the images on the news are uh, especially Mariupol in Ukraine. Mm. That's what my city looked like. It wasn't burning still because it had been 11 years afterwards. But um there was a study done a while back uh, by Exeter University in London mm. uh, about the destruction of Germany in World War II. And uh, they found that 36 cities in Germany were anywhere from 85 to 95 percent leveled by American and British bombers because the Nazis were hiding munitions factories, tank factories, and you name it, military stuff in among the population. The Americans and British had no option but to carpet bomb in order to right. win the war. Right. So, but that destroyed my city went from 236,000 down to 50,000 in wow. what was that? Six years hmm. of the war. Devastating. Yeah. And so uh, 11 years after the war, I was six years old and <clears throat> um, my city was still 50 percent leveled, just bombed out shells of building and piles of rubble. Uh, you take the bus into the city and block after block after block was just ruins. Mm. And so the point is, it was a very poor country, just devastated. And there were tons of orphans and tons of widows and men without arms, men without legs. A friend of my papa's had no legs. Mm -hmm. um, like if people remember the movie Trading Places where uh, Eddie Murphy yeah. got around on a cart pretending he had no legs, but this guy got around on a cart like that with no legs. Mm. And that was common and so much anger. And the whole point, it was a very poor country. And I was sent on a train ride. And I was excited as heck about a train ride because I had an older half brother and half sister who got to do all kinds of stuff I never got to do at six years old. And so this was exciting. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, a Red Cross lady took me on the train ride and it was wonderful. But then at the end of the train ride and a long walk through the countryside, I ended up at a place called orphanage, uh -huh. which was a word I'd never heard before. And they told me I would never go home again. Wow. I had no idea, had no idea that what it's just in complete disbelief. And it's like the ultimate taking away of one's power. So your mom put you on the train? She did. And, and, and what did she say to you? Nothing. Mm. <laughs> I didn't even get to say goodbye. And the reason that, that I was put on the train is that she was dying of cancer. She knew for a year beforehand that she was dying. Everybody mm. in the family knew except six-year-old Walty. Wow. And, you know, trying to protect me emotionally, I would assume, because for a five-year-old, six-year-old, that would be pretty hard to handle that mom's dying. Right. Um, and, and she didn't want to leave you with your father. At the yeah. And then, yeah, um, my father was a not married to her, lived together. Um, and he was a severe alcoholic and he literally would beat her almost every night. He would come home raging mm -hmm. drunk and just beat the crap out of her. And I couldn't help. I would see this happening. And of course, because they weren't married, he had no legal rights to me. And so she stipulated that I be sent to an orphanage and stipulated through a friend she had that I would be adopted by an American couple because the Americans were occupying Germany after the war right. with military bases and so many of them. And um, there were, Germany was full of orphans, right? There, there, you wouldn't, wouldn't find a German couple that could 
adopt kids. Mm. And, and so, um, and then of course, America was so much more prosperous at that time. And how long were you at the orphanage for? One year. And then I was adopted by an American Air Force couple and they were actually abusive. You know, things went from bad to worse within weeks after moving into their house, I was being spanked so hard that blood was was being drawn on my bottom. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. and even in the orphanage, too, you had told me prior that you were bullied as well. Yeah. First couple of days. Interestingly, <laughs> the kid who was doing that, well, I got beat up the first night and then he tried again the next next day. And um, the, the one of the male counselors just whooped him so badly uh, whooped him i'm talking like i'm from the south yeah. <laughs> he whooped his bottom uh-huh. <laughs> um, so badly that i think just just scared the pants off of him and he never bothered me again but wow. there was just so much competition for any attention from an adult any love just a hug come on because yeah. there were so few adults right and lots of competition for them that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot of trauma. Yeah. And so while you were experiencing all of this trauma, your intuitive self brought you in protection, right? And, and yeah. love through two yeah. individuals. So can you tell us more about that? Yes, I can. <laughs> um, two individuals, they were in my perception at the time, imaginary friends, and they were two teenage girls. And um, they were actually a part of my everyday reality before I was sent to the orphanage. Uh, one more than uh, the other, um, the accident girl is what I call her, Maria in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, over and over and over, I saw a horrific accident in a uh cargo truck that she experienced and i saw it in vivid detail and i felt every moment and i saw uh in her in surgery i saw her go to beyond the light when she died and came back oh uh, so she had an experience yeah Yeah. and um dr raymond moody who was one of the preeminent researchers on near-death experiences is now researching what he calls a shared near-death experience where you as the observer go on somebody else's near-death experience and that's what i experienced with her and then i saw the day that she was pretty her face was pretty mutilated in the accident and the day that the bandages came off i saw that and in vivid detail plus I interacted with her and the other girl in the sense of friends, you know, mm-hmm. because what if she, what she had gone through was so traumatic and because in going through it, she was completely alone, you know, and especially when you, when we go on a near death experience, we're alone. There's yeah, nobody absolutely. with you. Right. And um, so you both were we, nurturing each other through your own yes, traumas. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't know about that until, yeah, the, the orphanage, right? And yeah. then once I was at the orphanage, then yes, she and I and the other one got even more close because we connected on the traumatic experience. I could understand them in ways that that nobody else yeah. could. Yeah. And and same with me. And so, you know, the point is, yes, it was imaginary. Um, and yet it was complete interaction where uh, these people made me feel things. And I literally, I love them like sisters. Yeah. And to be able to love, right. With all of the abuse that you were experiencing. And And so it was, it was, yes. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Just companionship that I didn't have anywhere else other than in this imaginary world. And who was the other individual? Um, uh, In she her traumatic experience was having been sent to to germany as a foreign exchange student from the united states and uh she was only 13 years old and the family she was sent to was just horrific to her and she was stuck there for a year and it was emotionally just insanely devastating Mm. and there too i saw her story i saw where she lived i saw the surroundings over and over and over and i interacted with her so can i ask you how long of a time period did you see their traumas for years 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 and then um 
really all of my life, um, you know, it was more dominant, more prevalent in my early years, probably through high school, these interactions and dreams and memories of interactions mm. with them, and then literally feeling their presence. Right. And then as I got older, it would be less frequent, but still there. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop you there. We're going to come back to your story, but we're going to have to take a quick break. But everyone stay tuned for the weekly Skinny Up next and hear more about a study on how facial masks increased our level of attractiveness during COVID. On this weekly Skinny, new research has shown that people are said to be more attractive when wearing a facial mask. A study published in the Cognitive Research Journal on January 24th of this year by Farid Pazuhi and Alan Kingstone at the Department of Psychology at the University of British Columbia was conducted to investigate the effect of face masks on the perception of face attractiveness. Across these four studies, it was tested if below and above average attractive full faces are equally affected by wearing face masks. The first study included 164 people, 58 men and 106 women, between the ages of 18 and 75 years old. They were presented images of 25 male and 25 female faces aged 19 to 31 years old with neutral expression. Another set of the 50 images was created superimposing a face mask on them. They were then presented these images and asked to rate their level of attractiveness on a seven-point scale, with seven being very and one being not at all. The second study involved 181 individuals, 72 men and 109 women, aged 18 to 90 years old. They were also presented with 50 images, half men and half women, both masked and unmasked, but aged between 69 to 80 years old, again asked to rank them. The third study just cropped the lower half of the faces instead of masking them, which indicated the effect was not mask-specific. For the studies done on old faces and young faces, while a facial mask increased the perceived attractiveness of relatively unattractive faces, there was no effect of wearing a face mask for highly attractive faces. The final study, which only revealed the lower half of the faces, contrary to the previous findings, showed that highly attractive half-faces were perceived to be less attractive than their full-face counterpart. This demonstrated the importance of the eyes and eye region when it came to judging one's level of attractiveness, especially for highly attractive faces. The study concluded that unattractive faces are more attractive when the bottom half is masked, an effect that reverses when the top half is concealed. Wearing face masks increased the perceived attractiveness of less attractive faces in both young and old-aged people and did not affect attractive faces at all. Peach fuzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits, leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast, and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best, and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I'm interviewing Walter Zajak. Walter is sharing his latest novel, They Came Beyond Deja Vu, with us today. So, Walter, before the break, you were talking about these imaginary friends, these two women that appear to you, two teenage girls. So what happened later? You ended up meeting them in real life. Yeah, in real life. I was 44, and um, I was actually in a relatively down period in my life because I had had to give up a relatively successful music career in Europe and I was working day jobs, Mm. a day job actually. And I paid good money, gave me some security, but the biggest thing I noticed was, hey, nobody claps here. (laughs) There's no audience. (laughs) Not when you walk into the office? What? (laughs) (laughs) And so I wasn't particularly happy, but you know, I, I was making the best of it. And 
for a few years, I had been calling this receptionist at a particular company where in the day job, I would have to call various people and quote prices of stuff to them. And um, this one particular, well, this and this receptionist, every time she answered the phone, uh, my heart would melt. It's like, oh my God, what a beautiful voice. Like one moment, please, I'll connect you. And I just, mm-hmm. I can't do it, but it was just so beautiful. And yet we never spoke beyond that. Then one day I, um, there was a guy from her place uh, that I had to call. And every time he answered, he would answer the phone with, this is David, yeah. as if he was introducing himself on a talk show. Uh-huh. And, and um, it, it was obnoxious. And everybody at our place thought, oh, my God, who is this guy? And, and yet he was one of the vice presidents of the company. And one day I was having a really hard day feeling so frustrated. And I just called and I said, hi, this is Walter from so-and-so. I need to speak to this is David. And there was total silence on the other side. And I thought, oh, my God, did I mess up? He's a vice president. Oh, shit. Oh, heck, did I mess up? And then I heard this and then silence again. And then I realized she was doing her best not to laugh her buns off. And then when she finally came back, she said, oh, my God, nobody has ever made me laugh that hard. And uh, it explained that this guy is so obnoxious and he's so loud in the office and, and he's a vice president and nobody can do anything about it. And <laughs> then, you know, when, pe- when people laugh together, we connect. We connect spiritually. Mm. And I recognized her and she seemed to recognize me. And then from that day we started talking personally and within a few weeks she told me that yeah there's something i need to confess to you um i was in a really severe accident and my face got deformed and i've had a lot of surgeries since then but the accident was just horrifying and she started describing the accident and i finished the story for her wow i finished the story of her accident including the near-death experience, including being above her body in the truck cabin, including being above the, the, uh, her body in, her, in surgery in the hospital. And then um, over the next few weeks after finishing the story, I was able to tell her five things that she had never told another human, mm. like the near-death experience. She'd never shared that with and anybody. So how did she respond? Uh, initially amazement and initially there was a connection because we had both recognized each other on the spirit in on the spiritual plane um but um then within a few weeks after i had told her these things she had never told anybody she began to freak out and 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 actually feel emotionally violated how could this dude Mm. walter know so much stuff about me is he creepy is he insane and for me when i realized that i was telling her stuff she had never told another human i wondered how is this possible am i insane what is this (laughs) right And, and i couldn't explain it i literally couldn't and then the thing that really devastated me but beyond having met her and and trying to figure out well, where is this coming from? How, how is this possible? Was then when she freaked out, she needed to end the relationship. Yeah. And she went absolutely had to just, yeah. And, and wow. never saw her again huh. um, and needed to end the relationship. I was almost as devastated as that first day at the orphanage because I could not explain it, yeah. but here's the wonderful thing. And that is, it led me to realizing, dude, you need some help. (laughs) And good friends had been telling me for years, dude, you need some help considering what you went through. You need some help dealing Mm -hmm. with what you went through. And especially now I couldn't explain this to myself and, and I was having massive anxiety attacks and I found a psychologist who happens to be, and I think that somehow I, I manifested this. She is the daughter of a Toltec shaman. Mm. And maybe many people in the audience know the Toltec shaman tradition is uh, the, the teachings of Don Juan by Carlos Castaneda. Don Juan, 
Mm -hmm. Don Juan Matas was a Toltec shaman, and Carlos Castaneda actually became one in the process of writing those books. And people may know The Four Agreements by Don, Don Miguel, Miguel Ruiz. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Also a Toltec shaman. It's a tradition tradition that goes back thousands of years, maybe 10,000 or more, and it's just ancient wisdom. And she had been uh, to other worlds, other realities, way beyond deja vu, for instance, right, mm -hmm. with her Toltec shaman father. And... In the first session, you know, I was there bawling my eyes out. I think maybe I'm nuts. And she said, Walter, you're not crazy. You're psychic. Hmm. And and that this wasn't imaginary. This was you tuning me, Walter, tuning into the spirit world and literally manifesting people to people, these two teenage girls that I could have as companions where I didn't have that any other way. Wow. And yeah. you were you were accessing their future lives because they weren't even born yet. They were, were not born yet. Uh, the experiences that I was having with them in each case, they were about the same age when I met them as adults. Um, it was 15 years before they were born. Mm. And it was also yeah. to have this camaraderie, right? Like this camaraderie as far as yeah. dealing with some sort of trauma together. Yeah. And, yeah. And sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say they didn't recognize me from experiences in the past other than that deja vu kind of experience Sensation. where you you, yeah. you feel like you know somebody. My goodness, I know you and you feel so comfortable to me. You're mm -hmm. familiar, right? right. Uh, but then with the other one, too, as I was telling her things that she had never told anybody else, she freaked out after a little while and felt like I was somehow, uh, well, somehow a threat to her. And then, of course, that made me feel horrible about myself. I don't see myself as yeah. a threatening individual. And, you know, that kind of rejection was just the ultimate uh, pain for me. And then this psychologist, and then here's something that I recommend to people is a psychologist rather than a psychiatrist, simply because a psychologist isn't able to prescribe drugs. The psychologist's only option is to help you deal with actually what happened mm -hmm. and figure out to how to take your power over it. But she, she was, she was the key to my, um, first of all, realizing that, Oh, I am, I'm psychic. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. you know, anybody that, um, I think a lot of people in the audience can, can relate to this. People that have had psychic experiences don't realize that it's not normal. No. Usually it's well, just a part of normal them. everyday reality. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we suppress them or, or, or our parents insist that we should right. suppress them. Right. Yeah. So what did you do with that information then? That the um, became more and more comfortable with seeing myself and my world on two levels rather than, you know, it, because of what happened when I was six, I approached the rest of my life until I started seeing a psychologist from the perspective of a victim, mm. powerless, powerless. And even though I had psychic awareness, I didn't really see it as that. And um, after um, years with the abusive people, I really focused more on the physical world and defending myself and standing up for myself. You know, like uh, yeah. my sophomore year when I was playing football uh, in high school and got taller than them and stood up to them and said, no more, hmm. no more. You will not hit me anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. But that was all on a physical level. And I had lost touch with who I was on the psychic, on the spiritual level. And for me, my goodness, that's the key to really understanding. Well, my goodness, most of us know that phrase. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And if we ignore the spiritual side of ourselves, we're missing out on guidance and insight and understanding and peace, mm -hmm. uh, inner peace, and, and I think self-love. Right. I was just going to ask. So after you switched off that victim mentality, did that help you to step yeah. into self-love big time and then that's what my psychologist emphasized every day it's something that i emphasized in in every session do emphasize in every session with each client it's why i call myself the empowerment psychic my whole purpose is to give you information and inspiration and insight into yourself and the path that you're 
leading so that you can empower yourself so that you can learn to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that concept of feeling powerless uh, in, in various ways, feeling like a victim, that also seems to be way, way common. Right. Well, it also, way I think it, it kind of buys us time until we're really ready to deal with it, right? To deal with yeah. that wound. So what yeah. made you fully step into being a psychic professionally? What was the instigating factor? Um, what is it? A few weeks, actually, before 9-11. That's 2001. I was living in Seattle at the time. And <laughs> I went to, I'm doing a, a little advertisement for her, Pike Place Market. <laughs> Darlene Christopher, she's fantastic. She did for me, uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time bought me a psychic reading with Darlene Christopher at the Pike Place Market. And for an hour, it was, I had never had one before. And the end result, first of all, Darlene and I really hit it off. We just connected and, and understood each other. And, and um, the end result of that reading was, or oh, you know, tarot cards. I saw that in uh, on, online. Um, the in the traditional uh, writer weight deck, the magician card came up as the final card. And Darlene said, you need to be a psychic professionally, you're going to help a heck of a lot of people. And it will bring you amazing fulfillment. Hmm. And um, then actually, within about a year, Darlene had helped me set up on a service called keen.com at the time where you you end up paying about 50% of what you earn to them. <laughs> and then, and yeah, and then I was working a day job at the time, downtown Los Angeles in a high rise for an insurance company. And I actually got laid off and put in a position where I had already started the psychic thing part-time with Darlene's help. And then being uh -huh. laid off, I thought to myself, okay, let's dive into this because <laughs> Darlene believes I can do it. And then I had actually also gotten messages from my deceased mother through mm. um, uh, a friend at the time who did uh, spontaneous writing, you know, where a person yeah. just writes whatever they're feeling and whatever's coming to them. And the message from my mother at the time had been, you need to be a psychic. You need to help people that way. <laughs> Sounds like you got a lot of validation. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to yeah. stop you there. We're going to take another quick okay. break, but everyone stick around for more love from the hip. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. I want to take a minute and invite you on over to the Love Shack. It's a little old place where we get to get together, explore fresh perspectives, eavesdrop on juicy conversations and uncover the mysteries that nobody talks about, but absolutely influences our relationships. And we're Tom and Stacey Bartley. We are the hosts of Love Shack Live, which airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. PST, 1150 KKNWAM. Yeah, come on over and join us. We look forward to connecting with you soon. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory 
at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just joining us, I am interviewing the empowerment psychic, Walter Zajac. And don't forget to grab a copy of his book, They Came Beyond Deja Vu. So, Walter, who is this faceless man in black you mention in your book? Thank you. The The book actually starts with that scene. The, uh, the faceless man in black was a repetitive nightmare that I had since my earliest memories. In the nightmare, I'm a child, five or six years old, and I'm playing at the top of the stairs to the cellar in the apartment building where I lived. And the cellar door is slightly open and uh, it's completely black down at the bottom of the cellar stairs. And I hear a voice calling me, Walter. And a full body chill. And (laughs) I try to ignore it, but I hear it again, Walter. And then suddenly I am lifted up powerless, lifted up, and I begin floating down the stairs into the darkness to this man in black. Hmm. And that happened over and over and over. And I am scared beyond scared. And as it repeated year after year after year, and this was frequently, and I don't know, you know, every few nights at least, um, then it would develop a little strongest and, and, and uh, towards uh, later on, I would be able to get down to where he was and then run and run out the back door. And yet he was chasing me the whole time, chasing me, chasing me, chasing me, never stopped chasing me. And um, who he is, is the end of the book. <laughs> right? He, he appeared over and over in uh, both dreams as well as visions. Mm. And um, always just completely scared the pants off of me. And um, th- the end of the book is um, finding out who he is. And it's something that I think a lot of people can relate to in their own lives, but I don't want to spoil it. So now we're just all sitting on the edge of our seats. You need to be. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So, Walter, what are the three messages of your book? You know, we've touched on it a little bit already, and that is um, that we, uh, that um, all of us have, almost all of us, most of us have some kind of uh, insight uh, into the spirit world. We have deja vu experiences like we've talked about, or we have ESP where you know mm-hmm. that, that somebody's going to call and you know how they're doing before they call. And um, to help people understand that that's normal and that they can get insight and guidance from it. Um, secondly, so many people, I estimate that about 70% of my clients have been sexually abused as children and physically abused and or emotionally abandoned, if not physically abandoned. It's way too common on our planet. And I uh, want to help people understand that, okay, you're not alone. It's happened to a lot of people and to help them get tools and inspiration to overcome Mm -hmm. what happened. And then like we were just talking about helping people to love themselves. Loving yourself is the foundation for everything. You cannot be happy unless you love yourself, because if you don't love yourself, you don't even believe you deserve happiness and you don't deserve whatever it is that you want. So it's the key. And then for me, loving yourself, the thing that I was actually finally successful uh, in, in loving myself, it was real hard. And it is for most of us to look in the mirror and look, look at yourself in the mirror, look in your eyes and say, I love you, Walter. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But what finally worked for me was um, my psychologist uh, brought me into a a technique where I um, literally put little five-year-old Walter on my lap and I connected with him um, using NLP techniques. I know you know about that. Yeah. And and uh, just making a really vivid experience and, and, and tuning into loving Walter and being with him and tuning into little Walter and tuning into how beautiful and amazing that he was. Because when we see our five-year-old self, our five-year-old self is 
generally pretty precious and innocent and still in tune with where we came from, which is the spirit world. And we want nothing more than just to be loved. <laughs> and, and if we are doing that for ourselves, we know ourselves better than anybody else. We know exactly what our little self needs. And so I got to a point where I could look Walter in the eyes in the mirror and see five-year-old Walter's eyes and say, I love you, Walter. I love you, Walter. And then Walter, little Walter has become my companion. Right. He's there all the time. And then I actually get inspiration from him because he's still in tune with the spirit world. That's so sweet. And I actually yeah. recommend that with my clients as well. Awesome. Sure. It's very important. Yay. So as a psychic medium, have you gotten answers from your mother that you did not get when she was alive? Um, well, and I touched on it a few minutes ago, and that is... Um, the, that I should become a psychic, that I could help a lot of people. But more than anything, the sense of, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. And have sorry. you forgiven her? Yes. Yeah. And it's one of the beautiful things that my psychologist did with me. I'll give her a plug to Venita Ramirez, just an amazing individual. Um, but she took me to the night before the train ride and had me sit on my mama's lap and say goodbye. Mm. And in that, I forgave her. You know, she, uh, Vanita had me tell mama that I get it. I understand why this was your choice and I get it. And I know you're still with me and I love you and, and bye. So and precious. in that, I forgave. So having gone through all that you have, would you do it all over again? Yeah. <laughs> An interesting, interesting how Does that make, a, make that. us crazy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah, it does. But, right. and I think you feel the same because you know, you've gone through amazingly difficult stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the reason that I'm able to help people is because I went through it. Most in, in this 20 years of doing this work, uh, it's rare that I. Uh, run into somebody where I cannot relate to the trauma that they've been through because I've been through it. And it's, I'm, I've, I'm positive. I'm making a powerful, beautiful difference to a lot of people. And that's incredibly fulfilling. And yes, that's why I would do it all again, because I have developed strength and insight and inspiration that I wouldn't have. That's lovely. Well, yeah. how can my listeners learn more about you and book a session? Okay. Psychicwalter.com. Easy enough to remember. The book <laughs> is uh, in available in paperback and Kindle and an audio book where I narrate it uh, on Amazon.com. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your healing story with everyone. Thank you, Sakura. It's been really lovely. You're an inspiring person and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer, you the listener. KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Really love the show. Don't be shy. Drop me a line at sakuraatlovefromthehip.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode of the Conscious Coaching Hour, where we will be talking about forgiveness. Stay kind out there. Stay true to you. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya. The veil is a line between physical and non-physical realities, between spirit and matter. Listen in to Go Beyond the Veil every second Wednesday of each month from 2 to 3 p.m. In this jam-packed radio hour, hosts Sakura Sutter and Rory Reich interview folks who make a living crossing the veil and assisting others on their journey of healing and self-discovery. They will ask the hard questions to not only reveal more truths and clarity, but also to make spiritual sense. They hope by offering this resource where science meets spirituality that you too can finally put your skepticism to rest once and for all. So join them as they go beyond the veil.